The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Glory and praise and honor belong to you, Lamb of God, because you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood and have led our captivity captive. Pour out your spirit upon the dry soil of our hearts that he may cause faith and love to spring up in them and to bring fruit unto eternal life. Amen. Amen. I invite you to open up your scriptures to Psalm 68. Our appointed psalm for this coming Sunday in worship is Psalm 68, verses 1 through 10. But we are going to read the entire psalm together. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain, before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode, yes, where the Lord will dwell forever? The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. That you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, 
the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Well, good day, everyone. This is Pastor Keeker, and I am sitting in the beautiful sanctuary of Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri, and I am joined today with Pastor Brown, pastor of Mount Holda Lutheran Church in Cold Camp, also pastoring at Trinity Lutheran Church in Cold Camp, and also the pastor of Amigos de Cristo Lutheran Church in Sedalia. Yeah, that's the list. And if we don't, if I don't watch it, you'll also be the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri <laughs> before we know it. Well, I got a big enough circuit right now. <laughs> yeah, you do. I don't know how you do it because uh, I can't even keep up with one congregation. How do you keep up with three? Well, um, my work at Trinity in Coal Camp is is assisting and in a more limited capacity. So mm-hmm. there there are things I just am not able to do there because of my the nature of my position. Mm-hmm. So that's not as time demanding. Um, amigos, um, I do what I can. It's part of it is the distance too. So I'm there on Sundays and I go up there on Wednesdays for a work day. Are you learning Spanish? No. Okay. Is it Amigos de Cristo Lutheran Church, or what is the... Well, it's Iglesia Luterana Amigos de Cristo. See, you are speaking Spanish. <laughs> I, can, I can pronounce some of it, and I do parts of the liturgy in Spanish, but that doesn't mean I, I'm becoming fluent in the language. Very cool. I want to ask you, um, did, did you, did you fight the call to be a pastor? Did you struggle with it? I mean, everyone struggles with it, but... I mean, I was I kicked and screamed. I fought tooth and nail. Yeah, and so were so. Did you go? Were you one of the guys that went straight through high school, college, seminary, ministry? Oh no. What was your path like? Um, well, my path actually started at college, um, although apparently, it was evident to my home pastor, unbeknownst to me, mm-hmm. um, because so at some at college I. Um, Started serving as an acolyte in the chapel there and liked that. I really liked that. And then I mean, so it was a Lutheran college. Yeah, Valparaiso. Valpar- oh, I didn't know you went to Valparaiso. Yep. Okay. So I was, I was serving in the chapel there and thinking, wow, I wonder if you can be a full-time ath- acolyte. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I know what they call that. But no, that, that wasn't what I was going to do. But I did at uh, some point switch my major from uh, accounting to theology. Okay which is another whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was not theology aimed at, frankly, anything. 
Right. It was whatever sounded interesting. Exactly. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking this to be a pastor. Just so you I know, was Lord. Nowhere near pre-sem classes. Yeah. I. It would have been helpful if I had, but no. Right. It was encounter with non-Christian religious movements, American Indian religions, whatever. Yeah. Um, from there, I graduated thinking maybe some sort of full-time church work, but not parish pastor. Right. Anything yeah. but that, <laughs> yeah. really. Um, yeah. But not knowing what I was going to do, I. Uh, Got a job in Milwaukee and settled down there, got married. What was your job? Huh. Well, I was working, in, it started working in a home improvement office of Sears just because I, that's a job I could find at first. It wasn't much, but then I got a job at Menards hmm. and I was there at Menards for six years. Um, I talked to the Wisconsin district office. Did they have any? Positions, anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I got a theology degree that's yeah. just laying here. Yeah, just laying there, and it stayed laying there um, until I decided I, I I was looking at the lay ministry program, mm-hmm. but then I went back and talked to my pastor at Valparaiso mm-hmm. and campus pastor, and he said, "No, that's neither fish nor fowl. Go to the seminary, do the real thing." Yes, that's what he said. And you're like, "No, no." <laughs> And then I uh, talked to the director of the lay ministry program, and he said, you don't belong here. You belong at the seminary. And then I found out my home pastor had sent my name in to the seminary. Okay, God. Right. <laughs> so I applied to the seminary and, and headed there, not sure what I was going to do, but I knew it wasn't going to be parish pastor. Exactly. Okay, Lord, I'll uh, go to seminary, but not to be a pastor, and just so I you know. I don't have a great conversion moment, an aha moment, yeah. but somewhere you got caught was, in the net. There was no doubt that's what I was going to do. Yeah, couldn't get I, out. I don't know how it switched, but now, it did. St. Louis or Fort Wayne St. Louis. Okay, my alma mater as well. Yes. So I graduated from there in 2000, or as we said, the class of, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the rest is history. You received your call. So how long have you been the pastor at, at Mount Holda? In Fifteen years. Fifteen years. What's the thing, being a pastor, what's the, what's the thing that you find the most joy in? Or... The thing that really, uh, you know, you come home on your way home in the car and those moments of, wow, today was a good day. What did, the, what did those days look like in the ministry? Oh, the consistent highlight is always a divine service. Um, a colleague who uh, said it beautifully when he was doing his vicarage or field work, one or the other, he said, we get to pour eternal life down people's throats. And I just think of that. Here I get to do that. It doesn't look like it outwardly. And sometimes, you know, even we have to remind ourselves what's really going on here as we're, you know, doing what we know we need to do on Sunday morning. But what we're doing is pouring eternal life down people's throats. Mm-hmm. And what a thrill to do that. Um, there, Some of the moments that stand out, one was praying the commendation of the dying, which I've done a number of times, but to pray it, usually they're on morphine or totally non-responsive, but this one was awake and alert and knew what we were praying, and that was, there was something, I've said depart in peace to a number of people, but to look in her eyes and say that, go mm-hmm. in peace, that was, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and another woman who, we, we never had time to discuss 
uh, whether she wanted to, to go do catechesis. She was not Lutheran, but her uh, sister had gotten a hold of me because her sister knew me and said that her sister was uh, lapsed. She had really, a, when they tried to talk about Christ with her, she had a pushback reaction, hmm. but she's dying of cancer. Can you go talk to her? She'll talk to you. She knows you. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How can you say no to that? Mm -hmm. So I, I did go to talk to her and um, just finding that what she'd been struggling under was this uh, a was knowing her own awareness of her own failings, her own sin. And secondly, was that what she'd been given that, that, that far was you just have to let Jesus into your life. And she's like, how do I know if I've done that? And mm. what if I mess that up too? Mm. And so instead, we didn't even talk about that. We talked about what God had done. We talked about her baptism. Gospel. Yes. The rock solid things that aren't about her doing yeah god's doing and the change in her she only had about two weeks left but the change in her was just extraordinary she rested she did for the first time and when she said what if i mess that up too and i looked at her and said you're going to yeah and it was an amazing relief to her to be able to confess that oh, and know that it's forgiven yeah yeah this oh isn't... wait that's okay yeah that, I, that i'm a sinner yes because god's grace is there it doesn't undo my baptism no yeah Huh. We're gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna be talking exactly about that in, in Psalm 68 uh, because in verse 10, um, we're told that it's in your goodness, O oh God, that you provided for the needy. So you're mm. you're set. You're setting up very fertile <laughs> ground for us. But I, man, that speaks to me because you talked about pouring eternal life down people's throats in the divine service and. There was, I remember my pastor asking me when I was in college, and I was majoring in business and also theology, biblical studies, because I was not going to be a pastor. But mm -hmm. I was struggling with this pull. And I remember him asking, well, why would you want to be a pastor? Why? And I just said, I want to put the Eucharist on the shut-in's tongue. Mm-hmm why that desire was in me the holy spirit yes. i mean that's not something that like an eight-year-old boy who's out there you know pretending to be like a king or a warrior or taking out armies with his little stick <laughs> out in the yard just like oh i want to give the eucharist to people it's not usually something that kids think of but that desire has always been there for me um putting putting the host and the wine Pouring eternal life down people's throats. Yeah, it is a that is a huge joy. And you know when you when you see the people come into worship um, or during COVID, we would stream the service online. People would watch, and then they would come here and receive the Eucharist. And I, so many of them, they would come and they'd say, "I just feel so much better after." You know, there's something about the divine service. Yeah that gives people so much comfort and it's that well eternal life was just poured down your throat right you heard the word now you're receiving the gifts yep um, that is a joy and then also those deathbed moments um it is it is a very uh, it's an experience to be next to someone who's dying and it is 
unbelievable to be God's man in that place. Yeah. Because it's not what you've brought them. Right. It's you're there. You're, you're Christ for them. You're bringing them God's gifts. Yeah. What a, what a thing to be an instrument of that. Yeah, those are, those are, those are, I hesitate to, to say good or great moments because one is dying, but those are very impactful moments in, in the life of a pastor that, yeah, that stay with us. And we use uh, Luther's 1526 baptismal rite, which I believe LSB is included in the agenda as an alternate. Is that where you blow into the infant's nose? It doesn't have all of that. Those oh. parts of it uh, Luther had left out, but I love the way it begins because everybody's, you know, it's, it's sweet, pretty baby and, and wonderful day and everybody's happy and look at the little innocents in their white robe. And the very first line, I look at that baby and say, depart you unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. And then after Luther's flood prayer, there's a longer prayer. I adjure you, you unclean spirit, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit to come out of and depart from this servant of Jesus Christ. Ooh. And I still get to shivers. Who am I to speak like that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's not me. Yeah. This is God's word to Satan. Yeah. Get out. This is mine now. So are you saying that our baptism was an exorcism? Yes. And that's why the exorcisms weren't in there. They weren't, I don't believe they were seen as a separate thing of themselves. Their meaning came from being tied to the baptism that to was baptism. about to happen. In baptism, there is a, an exchange that's taking place. Depart, you unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you want to exercise demons and pour eternal life down people's throats <laughs> and, give, and be God's man when people are dying... Um, Go to seminary. That's not, right. Not to become a pastor, of course, but just see what happens. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> right. We've been swallowed up in the whale. Me, five years, you, uh, 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's actually, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a joy to, to, you know, the Lord teaches us. I say this um, sometimes to people about how the church teaches us things that we do not like, but then she teaches us to love them. Yeah. And I think that is the way of the cross, right? I did not want to be a pastor. There's things in our lives that we do not like or do not want. And yet that cross gets laid on our backs mm -hmm. and you learn to love them. Right. So I think that's actually the picture of our Christian life. At first, at first we may be doing it because we know what God's law says. Mm -hmm then we may be doing it out of faith. We trust God that this is what's good for us, even though we don't get sense. it. Yeah, it does not make sense. Lord. The ultimate, though, is when we start to get it. And we start to do it not just because God, but with God. Mm. When we start to realize, oh, this really is what's best for me. Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's that part of when our will understanding is shaped to Christ's mm. it's no longer about submission it's about it's like he and the father he submits to the father but yet his will is always perfectly in harmony with the father yeah and he's working us there yeah when our will is aligned with the Lord's will yes. and that is a very slow process only yeah. wrought by the spirit yep but, but yeah, that's that's when we find true peace true shalom I think so yeah yeah Okay, so, so Psalm 68, um, let's take a look at this psalm. Now, it's, it is a rather long psalm, 
So this Sunday, we're, we're, the appointed text is just the first 10 verses. So I wanted to look at the first 10 verses with you. And of course, it ties into the Easter season because of that very first verse. Yes. God shall arise. And I mean, I know this is, is, has been in the church here my whole ministry, but I never really heard it that clearly Easter until I was listening to a, a CD of Eastern Orthodox Easter music. Okay. And, oh, they celebrate Easter with such exuberance. And one of the pieces on there is, begins with this, this powerful voice singing, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered in the midst of this Easter CD. And all of a sudden it just, oh, blossoms. Yes. Yes. And, and now this, I just love that. Yeah, you're right about the Eastern Orthodox Church on that. I have a friend who went to Eastern Orthodox Church on uh, Good Friday. Oh, wow. Yeah. He goes and he tells me they're all standing. And 20 minutes later, they're still standing. An hour later, they're still standing. Yep. He doesn't know that he's in a three-hour service, <laughs> and they stand the entire time. So after about an hour, he 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 hits you know he nudges the person next to him in the pew, and he says, "When are we going to sit down?" <laughs> you know he's got little kids; they're all getting restless, and he he said, "I won't I won't ever forget." The man looked at me and he said, "We stand in expectation." Wow. He said that just rocked him. Yeah. You know, like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> we will stand in expect. Like, our Lord is coming. Okay, That's we're right. standing. <laughs> you know, yep. yeah. So we shall arise. Yeah, God, or God shall arise. Um, I was reading Luther on this, his take on it, and he said there's actually, a, it was either four or five-fold meaning to this very these first three words god shall arise that god is a god has risen maybe if i'll go through them and see if it's four or five so he says the first time god arose was in the incarnation okay um second time god arose was when he was crucified on the cross and risen from the dead mm -hmm. which is the one that i automatically go to yeah the third one where he says Christ arises is within the person who is dead and then by the Holy Spirit is brought to new life. Mm. That in that moment, Christ has arisen in you. You were once dead, now you're alive. Wow. Then he goes to a fourth one, which this one I haven't quite wrapped my mind around yet, but he says in our accomplishments, in our victories, Christ is rising. I guess the things that, you know, the enemies that we scatter, you know, say, uh, you know, sin, death, and the devil, and those, you know, well, whenever you're risen from the dead, that mm -hmm. will be Christ arising in you again. Yeah. Um, and then the fifth one, he says, is when, when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, he will arise, but descend on the clouds. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the arise here is not always a... a Logic, geographical sort of or a, a physical location arising exactly but yeah it's it's god um coming into action yeah, yeah. in you yeah in our world yep and when he does his enemies are scattered mm -hmm. well and and certainly that does and if luther's talking about when the person is raised to life if he's talking about spiritually well there's baptism Yes. And 
God, arise, let his enemies be scattered. That's what I say. I say, depart, you unclean spirits. Exactly. Your, your enemy has come. Yeah. For, for many Lutherans and for many Christians up and down the centuries, that third sense of Christ rising in us when the dead um, is swallowed up in victory, when Christ arises in us, for many Christians, that is when you're an infant. Mm-hmm. It happened to you when you were a couple of days old or a day old or in the case of my latest boy, like an hour old. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, we gave him, we gave him Christ's gifts as soon as we could. Yeah. Here's something I noticed about the psalm too, and I know once I bring this up, we're going to be off and running, and I'm <laughs> going to have to. <laughs> we could be talking for six hours, but the psalm is a psalm of praise, and they're they're thanking God for, and there's this particular event that keeps coming up throughout the psalms about the God of Sinai and the chariots and, uh, where is it? Uh, you led a host of captives. Yes. Um, the event that they keep talking about. The Exodus. Is the Exodus. Yes. When God delivered them from their enemies, right? Yep. yep. His enemies will be scattered. We're here at the Red Sea in Psalm 68, but here's the fascinating thing that I noticed. This psalm was written by, we're told at the very beginning of the psalm, it's a psalm of David. David was around 1,000 B.C. Mm -hmm. The Red Sea happened around 1,500 B.C. So they're singing a song of thanksgiving to God for delivering them from their enemies for something that happened 500 years ago. What happened 500 years ago? For us hmm I hadn't thought of that I've been thinking about the Reformation and the way that the church sings Thanksgiving to God praise to God for his deliverance 500 years ago or 2,000 years ago and Luther writes of the state of things then as a captivity Exactly. Yeah. Delivering us from slavery. And it was yep. a different kind of slavery. Sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this question. Now know that my very lovely, devout Catholic grandmother listens to this <laughs> podcast. Hi grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and I love her faith and I love her to death. Well, my grandma was devout Catholic too. My mom was raised there. So godly women yes. the Catholic Church produces. Um but the question I'm going to ask is... If it helps, I'm friends with a Roman deacon in town, so... <laughs> Me and the, the priest here in Clinton, Father Toronto, we're, we're two peas in a pod. I hope to have him on the podcast down the road. Um, but uh, I want you to explain to someone who has never heard about the Reformation, um, you know, pretend like they're seven years old, and what was the Reformation all about, and what... Why is that important? Or why does the church continue to praise God for what happened? Because the Red Sea, very simply, for those who didn't know, um, you had God's people who were enslaved in a foreign land for hundreds of years. They were enslaved, physical slavery. Um, And it got so bad that even the boys and the children that the women were having were being murdered. I mean, they weren't even allowed to raise their own families. God heard their cries of mercy, and he saves them by sending these ten plagues. 
and delivers his people out of that land and they come running out of that land and they're being led by God and they get to this Red Sea, this huge body of water. And in that moment, they're terrified because who's chasing them? It's the, the people who once enslaved them, the Egyptian army and the chariots and the horses. And they see the Red Sea and their backs are up against the wall and they are convinced they're all gonna die right there. And so they're all grumbling and their leader, Moses, says, um, be silent. Um, the Lord will fight for you. And all of a sudden, that sea mysteriously, miraculously parts, and they are able to walk through that Red Sea on dry ground, get to the other side, and then when that Egyptian army comes in and they're right in the middle, the Lord brings the waters back together, and in that moment, he delivers them, mm -hmm. and their enemies are scattered. Their enemies are, they end up all, they're dead. Yeah. They're no more. God delivered them. And now 500 years later, they're still praising God for that moment. So when you step into a Lutheran church or any church following the spirit of the Reformers, and we sing songs like A Mighty Fortress, and we're singing hymns praising God for his deliverance from 500 years ago in the Reformation. What are we praising him for? What was that all about, Pastor Brown? There's, as you said, there are other types of slavery, of captivity. Um, when our salvation has anything depending on our doing, then that's a captivity because we can't, we fail, we sin, because we cannot live up to the standard God has. Um, anytime that burden is put on us to get us in heaven, to get us right with God, that's a captivity. And it can be a terrible burden. Um, I mean, it, it happens all the time. It was widespread institutionally 500 years ago. But that woman who I ministered to her on her deathbed was in captivity because what she'd been given, she knew her own sin and felt enslaved by them. How mm -hmm. could God love her? How could she hope for salvation when she knew her sins? Well, Satan had pointed her to her sins instead of her Savior. And what she was given was, you have to let Jesus into your life. Still on you. Still on you. Mm -hmm. And when she says, how do I know if I've done that? What if I mess it up? Well, that's the slavery. You don't. Exactly. You don't know, and you are going to mess it up. Yeah. And so to be freed from that, to be told, be still. The Lord will fight for you, or in that case, the Lord fought for you. He has. He has. It. He has won this battle. He told that unclean spirit to get out and moved in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so that that deliverance from bondage is for all of us it's it's you know it's the christian life but it had become widespread institutionally by the very ones who should have been proclaiming our freedom and so to have that freedom declared to us is a glorious deliverance mm -hmm. verse 10 points to the heart of the reformation in your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. Yeah. 
So the question becomes, how am I saved? How do I get to heaven? How am I justified? How am I forgiven? And there's two answers to that. It's either because you're good or it's because God is good. And those two different answers then force you into two very different directions, right? Because if I'm forgiven because of God's goodness, in your goodness, O God, you provided, then that means then that my forgiveness is not dependent on me. Right. It's solely by God's grace and mercy and unmerited favor that I am forgiven. And it beautifully confesses the other side too, not only the goodness of God, but the poverty of me. Exactly. You provide the it needy. for the needy. Yeah. So if there's anything that I can do, it's admit that I need, I have nothing. What I do is admit that I do nothing. <laughs> they found written on a piece of paper at Luther's deathbed, a uh, very short little thing. Wir sind alle Bettler hocus verum. Nice little mix of German and Latin. It means we are all beggars. This is true. Yeah. He saw that. Yeah. Um, and so we're only so if I'm only saved by God's goodness, that means that salvation is not on me. Right. The other answer to that is you're saved by being good, which then means salvation is on me mm-hmm. to be good. And so then the question becomes, how can I be good? And that's the trap you're talking about, the slavery that yeah. that starts to unfold because if Christianity or the Christian life becomes all about simply how do you become good? Um, and it's you'll end up enslaved. You will. You cannot be good enough. And it's rarely a hundred percent that side of it. You don't hear too many people saying it's all up to you. No, it's usually a mix. It's a mix. But here's the thing of a mix. That's like saying, well, ninety percent of the foundation is solid. Yeah. The building's still probably going to fall. Right. Any part of that foundation is shaky. The whole building is shaky. Yeah. So you've got to keep our doing 100% out of it. Let it be. Be still. God will fight for you. Exactly. Well, and the same thing is, is true with our doctrine. I mean, people don't want to get too upset about a little bit of false doctrine. Well, Scripture calls this the pure milk of the word. What mother is going to give their child milk that's almost pure? Or there's only a little poison in it. <laughs> just a little just a little yeah so exactly no, pure. pure is pure yeah so 500 years ago luther a catholic priest who loved the church was ministering to his people and his people were coming to him with consciences convicted being told that they were sinners and that they were yes but where they were being directed was the problem of the mm-hmm. reformation it was a direction towards more human effort. Yes. Your goodness. Your prayers, your um, acts of penance. Your penance. Or your monetary contributions. Indulgences. Right. I tell my grandmother all the time when we have these conversations, what would get the Catholic and Lutheran church back together? Because this comes up in the Psalm uh, verse 6. God settles the solitary in a home. God desires unity yes. in a home. 
Um, I don't think any, any of us would say that God looks at our fractions and denominations and is pleased by that. He desires his church to be one. So we have these conversations. And I say, well, Grandma, a, a lot would be settled if Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession was agreed upon by the, by the Catholic Church. Yeah. Because in Article 4 of the Lutheran Confessions, that is where we explicitly state that we're saved by God's goodness alone. Right. God's grace alone. Yep. And that's what the Reformation was mostly about. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's not just something that happened 500 years ago. This is still very prevalent today. And all of us have in us the old sinful nature that wants, even when it's talking salvation, it wants some part it can take credit for. Mm-hmm. It does not want to be 100% beggar because pride hates that. And our pride does not want to say, I can contribute nothing, I can only receive. Well, I think, I think they're, pra- they're praising the Lord for his deliverance um, from 500 years ago in the Red Sea. And we are right to praise him for his deliverance 500 years ago in the Reformation because it wasn't about a slavery of a physical sort. Right. It was a slavery of the conscience and of the soul. I know I should do good. These are Paul's words. Mm-hmm. I know I should do good. But the thing that I know I should do, I don't do. And the thing that I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing it. What is wrong with me? You're a rebel. I'm a rebel. Who will save me from this body of death? And the answer Paul gives is not, you will. Right. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. It's in his goodness that I am saved. And that sets free the captive. But the Reformation, I think, you know, we praise what God did 500 years ago through his word. But in those moments, um, really what was taking place was simply praising God for his deliverance on the cross. That what what Jesus Christ did for us poor, needy, rebel, uh, rebellious sinners, uh, he set us free on that day. And, uh, And so the Reformation was more or less just a praise of thanksgiving to what God had already done 1,500 years before that. And I think today that's the best way to celebrate the Reformation. Not to focus on the events of 500 years ago, but to focus on that essential doctrine that was so essential 500 years ago. Exactly. Celebrate the Reformation by celebrating the cross. Yep. And the empty tomb. Yep. He has risen. You brought up a lot there when you talked about pride. And there's this element within our, our sinful flesh that we want to take we want to have some say in our salvation, mm-hmm. right? The pride in me says, it's got to be on me. Um, I want that, as if that's more assuring than the Lord doing it. I don't know <laughs> what we're thinking there. I think, I think we want at least some credit. Exactly. And well, so yeah, this it, is it, the rubber meets the road when you bring up baptism because you see that very struggle in the gift of baptism. Either it is God's doing, it is entirely his work that he gives to you, and you received it. Yep. Or, but shouldn't I have some say in this? Shouldn't it be my choice, (laughs) right? And they can't get their heads around it because 
pride is getting in the way. Pride wants to say, no, you did that. That was on you. You did it, man. Good job, right? And I want that. Yeah, I did do it. But that's never how God works with us. And even if God did it, you still want some part. You don't want to let it be 100%. Exactly. It's kind of like if, if you go out to eat with somebody and they pay and you say, well, let me at least get the tip. Right. I don't want to be 100% receiving here. Let me do something. Exactly. And God's like, no, it's yeah. all on me. Exactly. I got this. And here's the beauty of baptism. Even when people think that it's they're doing, it's still God's doing. It is. You know, there's a lot of Christians today that were baptized because they thought they made the choice or right. it was their decision. But even in that, God still did it. I mean, so it was his gift. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, and and that's that's absolutely glorious because even if we did want to at least cover the tip, we'd pull out our wallet and find it empty. <laughs> we have nothing to offer. Yeah, it reminds me of that Bo Geert's book, Hammer of God, where yes. you know he's talking about you got to give your heart to Jesus. Yes. Give your heart to Jesus, and the pastor goes, "Why would he want a hunk of trash? What like kind that? of a birthday gift is that? Yeah, my heart. Do you he know says, how wrecked it is? He says it's like a rusty tin can laying on a junk heap." And a gracious Lord comes along and pokes his stick through it and picks it up and takes it home. Exactly. <laughs> That's Beautiful. Right. Yeah. I, I like to go back to when talking about baptism, that it's the Lord's doing. And try to, um, every, you know, it's good to try to squash this pride that just naturally boils up in us without even thinking about it. And one way to do that is you just go, just go back to how God created the world. What did you do? For God to create this world. Not a thing. What did you do to be born? He, I was going there <laughs> next, right? Yeah. It's all. It's always by his grace. God yes. comes out of the gate blessing yep. in Genesis 1. He just creates because he's the creator and in his goodness, he makes the world. Yep. And not one of us walks around acting like we can take any credit for that. Same thing with our life, right? Mm -hmm. He just gave you life. Here you are. You're born. You have life. Totally God's doing. That's right. He didn't have a conversation with you before you were born and was like, hey, are you going to be good? Will you sign this dotted? You know, he didn't make anything dependent you're on You're going to make a decision to be born? Ex <laughs> yeah, exactly. Will you make the decision? No, he just does. And you're given yeah. life. And I don't think, you know, we don't walk around this way either thinking, well, I gave myself life. Um, not physical life, at least. Um, that's completely dependent on God. And so the church teaches, so are his gifts. Grace, forgiveness, mercy, baptism, the Lord's Supper. These are not things that you do. No. These are things that God does to you. Now, we do still have to avail ourselves of those things. Um, we don't just sit there at home and wait for the Lord's Supper to be brought to us. And I mean, if we're physically in right. that position, naturally. Right. But... So some could say, yeah, and I've heard it argued. Well, if, if you're, you're saying if baptism is part of salvation, then you're saying it's salvation by works because you have to go do this. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's, I don't give myself life, and I don't keep myself alive. But I know there are things to avoid because they would hurt me. Exactly. And I know there are things I can do that will strengthen my life. Yeah. And faith can be strengthened and weakened by our choices. Mm-hmm. But it's still the Holy Spirit's work in us. Yeah. You know what? Even the will to do the right thing is his, his Spirit's work. It's all his doing. Augustine yes. had that quote, anything good in me, the Spirit has done. That's anything right. bad in me, 
that's me. Yep. Right? I'll take the bl- I'm the rebel. That's know? right. So yeah, the question is, I have a friend who grew up uh, in a church that did not believe that baptism was pure gift from God. And uh, he spent years um, trying to find a church that lined up with his theology. He was a philosophy major at SVU, and and he spent a lot of time, and he bounced from church to church, and he finally ended up being an adult convert to Lutheranism. I remember him texting me one night, and he was like, baptism isn't just something that like you're a little bit sick and you need a little bit of help baptism is you are dead and you need to be brought back to life that's right and i'm like yeah because that that changes everything i'm like well good i'm glad it does for you you know <laughs> this is something the church has taught for two thousand years but you mentioned it when you talked about how people the people who are still stuck in that mindset that baptism is something that i must do right they it's like they're blinded by their own reason they they can't help but see everything that baptism is about is your work right so they'll point to well you bringing the child or it's your right. work or it's still your work like they can't escape the cir- the thinking that baptism's my doing and it's like no it's we think completely differently it's god's doing and it's really if focusing on those visual external things is missing what's really going on there yeah yeah i think what it looks like is a ceremony where a couple brings their baby and the pastor pours water over him right what's going on is to part you unclean spirit and none of the people standing around the font are doing that no that's the holy spirit that's right it's the same thing through preaching of the word Mm -hmm. when when a pastor proclaims the word or when someone shares the gospel on the side of the street the externals is there's a man sitting there you know it's saying words but that is not what is saving them Mm -hmm. it is the holy spirit by god's grace creating faith in that person to believe the word and the same thing is happening in the eucharist the same thing is happening in baptism there's external elements sure but we don't get stuck on those external elements because those are all like that's all fodder for pride well look what i did or (laughs) i did this you know it's like no it's what god is doing in your goodness Oh God, you provided, and it's misunderstanding the purpose of those externals. They're they're they matter. They're there because God established them. He instituted the water, the bread, the wine, but that wasn't so we could have something to take credit for. Right. That was so we would have something for our faith to say. How do I know? Because this is what happened. Yeah. How do I know I'm I'm really baptized? Did the pastor really pour water over your head in the triune name? Yes. Then you're really baptized. They're his delivery. It's his means for delivering his grace. And we're not just soul. We're body and soul. Mm -hmm. So he delivers his grace in a concrete, incarnate form. He keeps coming to us incarnately, not just in Bethlehem. Yeah. This is why Luther would always say to the Christian who is convicted and the the conscience burdened and with the person on the deathbed for you, right? We point them back to your baptism. Yeah. You're baptized. Luther had this thing where, um, no surprise, we're talking about Luther a lot because we brought up the Reformation, but <laughs> he would he had this thing about, he has two things about baptism that I like. He says, uh, when, I get, when I get to heaven and St. Peter asks me, why should I let you in? Have you heard this one? No. Well, you're my check on whether or not it's genuinely Luther, <laughs> so it might not be Luther who said this. But um, he said, I'm going to hold up my baptismal certificate and say I'm part of the family. 
That's good. I like that. I'm not convinced it sounds like Luther. <laughs> not okay. the way it's put. Did Luther believe that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The other one I heard that Luther would say is when he would walk around town, um, and on particularly very trying days where he was being tormented by the, the enemy, he would say out loud, I'm baptized. Yes. I'm baptized. Yes. And those that were his is words. Luther. That was Luther. And notice the present tense. I am. I am. It's not just about a past event. It's right. about a state of being. Yeah. I, I'm not just one who was baptized. I was baptized, yeah, when I was I a am baptized, I and am. That, defines, that defines who I am. Yeah, I'm, a bat, I'm baptized. Yep. Or Paul would say, I'm, I've been put in Christ. Yep. And how do I know I've been put in Christ? You've been baptized into his death and resurrection. Right. And that's the role of those externals. Yeah. They're a concrete thing we can point to to say, how do you know you were baptized? Because that happened. Right. Those externals happened. Yeah. The yep. ones that our Lord himself established. Now you go home from church on Sunday and Satan throws in your mind, are you really forgiven? You can say, let's see, I ate his body and drank his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. Yeah, I guess I am. His word says I am. Yes. Yeah. So every part of me wants to doubt it. Mm -hmm. And then in that doubt, find some way that I can make it up or take <laughs> some sort of ownership. Yeah. But his word says you're forgiven. So I am. And what we're talking about is really Easter ongoing in our life. Mm. Every time we come back to our baptism, it's Easter. And that this whole psalm, yes, it's about the Exodus. But remember that the Exodus was all there to teach them about the resurrection. That's why the, the Exodus is the central theme in the Easter vigil. Is because that is our Passover, is Easter. That is when we pass over from death to life. And how does that apply to me personally, since I wasn't there at the resurrection? Baptism. Baptism is my, we are buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ is risen from the dead, we too can walk in newness of life. That's my Easter. Wow, that's Romans 6. Yeah. That's the Exodus. That's the Exodus. That's December 28th, 1987 for me. Yep. And when I was baptized. What is repentance but a returning to our baptism? Right. By daily contrition and repentance, these the old Adam be drowned and die, and a new man arise. So every time I repent and the new man arises, I, I'm returning to my baptism. It's Easter for me again. Exactly. This is why for, this this is this is what Luther recommended. I, my, I remember my pastor whenever he told us this in confirmation class. I just realized, okay, that's what I'm going to start doing. But this is why Luther recommends first thing you do in the morning when you wake up. It's not check your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's make the sign of the cross and remember yes. you're baptized. I'm yep. a baptized child of God. Um, and in fact, I believe he has the invocation there. Yes. Make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, in the name, in the name of the Father, Father and Son, and, Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, which was first said on you in your baptism. That's right. In fact, put on you it was. in your baptism. Your, his name was put on you. And receive the sign of the Holy Cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart is part of baptism. Yeah. Every time we make the sign of the cross, we're saying with our hand, I am baptized. Mm -hmm. And I remember a sermon by Dr. Nagel at the seminary. In fact, it was for the Feast of the Holy Cross. And he was saying, he was talking about that, make the sign of the cross. And he says, when you wake up, if your spiritual faculties aren't all checked in, if you can at least get your hand moving. <laughs> <laughs> and don't slap your wife while he's laying right next to you. <laughs> you at least get your hand moving. Then you've started going back to your baptism. Uh, 
you know, sometimes I, I've stopped this practice because it freaked Alyssa out, I'm convinced. But I would, I would recite whatever scripture came to mind first thing in the morning after making the sign of the cross. And there's that baptismal liturgy, that ancient baptismal liturgy in, in the letter to the Ephesians. Church tradition says this was the liturgy that the church would say during a baptism. Um, it's arise, O sleeper, and wake from the dead, and let the light of Christ shine upon you. Love that. Yes. But first thing in the morning to hear your spouse go, arise, O sleeper, and awake from the dead, and let the <laughs> light of Christ shine on you. Freaked her out a little bit, so I stopped, <laughs> stopped saying that. But that is a good practice, not just for the beginning of the day, but throughout the day and before we go to bed and lay our head uh, down for the night is to recall that we are baptized. Yes. And that in that baptism, <clears throat> I think this would be my message for this week, is that is the sure place where God's goodness was provided to you. Yes. And it was all by his grace. And you've been set free. You've been delivered. Yep. In Christ, you have been forgiven. You are forgiven. You will be forgiven. And um, that is something that he has done in you completely by his own grace and mercy so that then therefore as a saved and redeemed and set free child of god i then go out and freely love one another right it's not it's not that i'm saved because i go and love you right then people just become means to an end yeah it's not love anymore no it's you're not doing it for them you're doing it for, for how it's going to benefit you right exactly. it's twisted yep yeah, but and it should mention here, Luther was by no means against good works. Not at all. But they were done on the other side of saved. They weren't done to be saved. They were done freely because you're saved. Mm -hmm. Because you're not doing it anymore for you. You're freed from that. Yeah. You're free to give it away. Exactly. You are free. Yeah. yeah. Our, Our Father, who art, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. We praise you, O God. We acknowledge you to be the Lord. All the earth now worships you, the Father everlasting. To you all angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. To you, cherubim and seraphim, continually to cry. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. The glorious company of the apostles praise you. 
the goodly fellowship of the prophets praise you. The noble army of martyrs praise you. The holy church throughout all the world does acknowledge you. The Father of an infinite majesty, your adorable true and only Son, also the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. You are the King of glory, O Christ. You are the everlasting Son of the Father. When you took upon yourself to deliver man, you humbled yourself to be born of a virgin. When you had overcome the sharpness of death, you opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. You sit at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. We believe that you will come to be our judge. We therefore pray you to help your servants, whom you have redeemed with your precious blood. Make them to be numbered with your saints in glory everlasting. O Lord, save your people and bless your heritage. Govern them and lift them up forever. Day by day we magnify you, and we worship your name forever and ever. Grant, O Lord, to keep us this day without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us. O Lord, let your mercy be upon us, as our trust is in you. O Lord, in you have I trusted, let me never be confounded. 